Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The myriad connotations of the word ghetto are as complex as its history. The term's connection to the legacies of the Holocaust and slavery have made its use feel dated. But the socioeconomic conditions of today's urban hubs affirm that ghettos remain part of the fabric of city life. At the Walrus Talks Cities of Migration in 2016, Kamal Asolaili, director and professor at the University of British Columbia's School of Journalism, Writing and Media, outlined how gentrification has reframed the way we think about ghettos. Welcome to the conversation piece. Good evening. My name is Kamal Asulaili, and I'm going to talk to you today about a word and a place that not a, that not a lot of people um, like to acknowledge or uh, discuss. And this is part of an, um, a project that I'm actually working with the Walrus magazine um, on. Uh, it's going to be a feature um, and a book. So you're my um, test audience. So if you have any ideas for su or suggestions, please feel free to um, come and talk to me. So my title is In Defense of Ghettos. And, I'm, and in seven minutes, I'm going to ask seven questions and I'm try to answer I'll try to give you some responses. My first question is, why is ghetto such a difficult word and place? There's no denying that when we hear the word ghetto, we do feel some, somehow uncomfortable. I don't, blame, I don't blame you, I don't blame myself, I don't blame anyone for feeling that way. It has, its origins is actually from Italy, from, from the word ghetto, and it's a word that has become associated with a long history of anti-Semitism. It obviously developed over, over the centuries that, and ended up in the Holocaust. In North America, we actually associate the term largely with the African-American community and the segregation, a housing segregation. So as you can see, a word that, that, that's come to us uh, through anti-Semitism and the aftershocks of slavery it's now one that we are very keen to preserve or replicate. We think of poverty, isolation, crime, alienation, and maybe even guilt. So that's why it's such a difficult word. So my second question is, where are today's ghettos and how do, how do, they, they, how do they differ from ethnic enclaves? We like to think that we don't have ghettos anymore, but that's not true, actually. Ghettos exist. They do in reserves, they do in refugee camps in Europe. We may not always call them that. We've always found some euphemism and ways around them. My favorite one actually is from Toronto. We call them priority neighborhoods. <laughs> Perhaps the most remarkable among them is the rise and fall of the gay ghetto, the gay neighborhood, where members of the LGBT community will come together, play, sometimes work in part of town where they felt safe. 
as that community expanded and has become more, more, accept, more accepted in mainstream society, the need for a ghetto has abated. Today's ghettos are not just in inner cities anymore, but at least not in Canada's bigger cities like Toronto and Vancouver, because the real estate boom have forced out and priced out entire communities from city cores. We talk about the cities of migration, and the racialization of poverty and precarious work mean that the working poor largely come from ethnic and migrant community. They work in the city, but can only afford to live on, on its margins, sometimes cut off from the core by bad transportation options. If you're doing a little bit better than you can, and you can afford a car, then you, you, you opt for a suburban living. But the question I, I want to ask you, is a fancier car-dependent ghetto any more or any less of a ghetto? Have we just upgraded the idea of ghetto and created a two-tier version, one in inner city and one in the suburbs? Or in large cities? So why do we fear ghettos? There's no denying that ghettos have become a kind of a parking space for our collective anxieties about race and racially based economic disparity. Again, the migrant experience. We've projected our worst fears into poor, poorer ghettos. They're places where the black male body um, prevails and we sometimes think of brown, brown extremists. The ghettos are places where mainstream institutions, whether it's policing, education, social services, are, are at a disadvantage. They're outnumbered. Other languages and other ways of life dominate here. The state is not in control. Cultures, cultures from home countries are. Ghettos and ethnic enclaves are barometers, the ultimate test of how we really live with the other, even when, statistically speaking, the other is no longer an oppressed or a small minority. Toronto podcast lovers are in for a treat. The Hot Docs Podcast Festival is back for its eighth edition. Taking place October 19th to 22nd, the festival features the New Yorker Fiction Podcast and Under the Influence with Terry O'Reilly and many more. Plus, there are industry sessions for podcast makers. Check out hotdocs.ca slash podcast to learn more. So why do we try to transform or tear down ghettos? You've, you've heard words like mixed, mixed income neighborhoods, gentrification. The truth of the matter is, is that in inner cities bound by green belts or water or other kind of restrictions, ghettos where, where largely migrant communities have been left to fend for themselves and where housing projects for, for the working poor have been falling apart are suddenly desirable. It's all about location, location, location. So gentrification and mixed income neighborhoods are the only way that cities like Toronto, for example, can expand and still not fall for urban sprawl. A ghetto, once shunned, is now a geographically desirable arena for social entrepreneurs and speculators. So, so who loses when we erase ghettos? And I'm going to answer just in the interest of time, question six as well, and who wins? Well, who loses is not just the people who once lived in them. As rents increase and gentrification builds up, a kind of flight happens. I call it black and brown flight, and they fly further into the outskirts. What happens with migrant communities is that our connection to the city is lost. 
a whole history, way of life, stories, community, community roots disappear. In places like Brooklyn or Harlem particularly, black residents and black history are being brushed out of the picture, whitened through hipsters or browned through a more upwardly mobile Hispanic community. There's a loss of collective wisdom and the threat of communities being dispersed, thinned out. I worry about that because with, with every community that's been erased, a history is being wiped out at the same time. I understand that community is a fluid word, places people come and go. We seed grounds for highways, for subways, for the greater good, but I'm not entirely convinced that that's what's happening here. Who wins? This is not gonna be a diatribe about development or, or condo developers or anything like this, but I don't think anybody actually wins, in my opinion, when, when we erase ghetto, because among other things, it, we validate seeing the ethnic and working poor as categories of people in need of either salvation or exile. My final question is, why should you care about all of this stuff? Why should, I don't live in a ghetto, and, and, but, but why should I care about it? I care about it because for most residents in, 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 in ethnic enclaves or ghettos, they, the place where they live is a point of reference, is a path to identity, and even to a point of view towards being Canadian. I teach in a university in downtown Toronto where I supervise the education of both the privileged and the marginalized. And I can tell you that the next generation will have completely different stories about what Canada is. And 150 years from now, it'd be a completely different narrative from the one we're gonna celebrate next year. And I think that's a good thing. The face of Canada is changing, and so should its narrative. One place where these narratives are happening is the ghetto. One place where these narratives may cease to exist is the gentrified or demolished ghetto. Put simply, you can tell new stories when your history has been erased. Thank you so much. Kamal Al-Solaili is director and professor at the University of British Columbia's School of Journalism, Writing, and Media. He is also the author of Intolerable, a memoir of extremes, winner of the Toronto Book Award, and is among the over 800 fantastic speakers that have been featured on the Walrus Talk stage. Subscribe to the conversation piece on your favorite podcast platform. And to register for upcoming events happening online or in a city near you, and to catch up on our archive of the Walrus Talks, visit thewalrus.ca slash events. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.